Why would anyone want to be a missionary? I remember being on a mission trip in Cuba one time when the 70-year-old car that we were riding in, me and my wife, broke down, as they tend to do in Cuba. We were coming home from speaking in another town late, late one night. I think it was one in the morning, and we were in between towns. So we were in the middle of nowhere, and there was no cell phone signal and no cars, so we just slept on the the concrete risers of a bridge on the side of the road for the night as trucks whizzed by us every 30 minutes or so with their lights off. I remember also bringing one time a team of Hong Kong businessmen up to the area where we were stationed as long-term missionaries in Asia. These guys had come up to help us think through and finance a project to be able to serve the community we were living among. And their presence in that area first drew attention and then it drew suspicion. And next thing you know, these businessmen who had come to love on and give to and sacrifice for and give money to this, this, uh, this effort in our community to help the people there ended up being arrested, as did I, as did my wife, and thrown into an interrogation room. We, um, it was humiliating. To, to invite these guys to come from a foreign place and to arrange for their travel to come into this very remote area only to have them thrown into a holding cell and then run out of jail, run out of town on a rail uh, with their tail, tails between their legs. Why would anyone want that? Why would anyone want, again, the humiliation, the anxiety, the suspicion, the loneliness, the awkwardness, the danger of being on the international mission field in areas that we are unfamiliar with. And as we discussed, even in part one of this series, we haven't seen the worst of it. Paul by far, the apostle Paul by far had worse treatment than we did. This is the final installment of a five part series answering the question, why would anyone want to be a missionary? And we've given four answers before today. And in truth, this series could go on and on and on for many more weeks. But today's answer, the final one that I'm going to give in this series, is the most important one, the most significant one. It is, in, in essence, the summary answer. Why would anyone want to be a missionary? God is worthy. I don't know what musical worship looks like in the worship services at your church. But let me just read to you a little bit about worship will look like when we're all gathered around the heavenly throne of God Almighty at the end of time. We will join with the uh, living creatures day and night who never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then jumping into the next chapter, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain 
and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For, from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I could read from so many places in the Bible. I was just reading uh, in first Timothy reading Ephesians 1 that repeats over and over again to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Psalm 104, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Matthew 10 says, whoever loves father or mother more than me, Jesus said, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Romans 14 says, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Deuteronomy, he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you all these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Isaiah 12, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim his name, that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Of course, I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. Here's a great one from Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. But let's get down to the real question here. Of all that God created in this world, what does he love the most? Well, we ask that question and we answer that question frequently as we go out onto the mission field with our pro-life message and preach to congregations of people. And the answer to the question of all the things that God made and created, what does he love the most? The answer is us. You and me, it's human beings created in his image, human beings that all have intrinsic and equal and exceptional and eternal value because we are made in his image of all the things that God made. It is human beings, human life that he values the most. But here's a separate question. A more simplified question. What does God love the most? The answer to that question is God. Of all things, what does God love and cherish and value the most? The answer is he loves God the most. I think the scripture that in my mind hammers at home in a unique way is Isaiah 48, where God says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. That passage demolishes a man-centered viewpoint of what life and existence is all about. God's zealous insistence on the protection of his own name and of his own glory and of his own fame and of his own reputation is the foundation for our affection for God. God is supreme in his own affections. And God's passion for God is precedes and is the foundation for our passion for God. Why would anybody want to be a missionary? Because God is worthy. And because his name and his glory and his reputation and the knowledge of his goodness is something that truly matters in this world. He is creator. He is good. He is wise. He is loving. He is strong. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. And he has made each and every human being on the face of this planet. And each and every human being should glorify and give praise to that God who created them. No one should profane his name quite the opposite. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he indeed is God. John Piper said it so eloquently and so famously in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is probably the preeminent missions text in the modern world today. If you haven't read, read this book, read it. And if you're not going to read the book, read the first chapter. And if you're not going to read the first chapter, read the first paragraph. This is how he starts the book. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And there is perhaps no more famous phrase in this book than that one I just read. Missions exists because worship doesn't. And just a couple pages over, we read about the reason why we, as Passion Life, we as missionaries, we as all Christians should be willing to go to the ends of the earth and to tell all peoples about the Lord because he's worthy to be worshipped by all the peoples. And until the people all over the face of the earth are enjoying the glorious worship of Almighty God, we continue to go out and we continue to share and spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God through Christ. This is how Piper says it. All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white hot worship of God and his son among the peoples of the earth. Missions is not that goal. It is the means. And for that reason, it is the second greatest human activity in the world. We believe that. I trust and I pray that your overarching passion and goal of your life, brother, goal of your life, sister, is to enjoy God in 
true and glorious worship and to return grateful praise for all that he has done in your life and in this world for the glory of his name. And I trust that you as a follower of Jesus are putting serious time and energy and prayer and intentionality into discerning your role in making his glory known among the peoples of this earth for you to engage in that second greatest of all human activities. The first greatest, which is worship. The second greatest is to make his glory known to the ends of the earth. We at Passion Life have whittled down. We have whittled down our priorities and how we want to invest our lives in this world while God gives us breath. And these are the things that we believe matter most. Number one, the white hot worship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Number two, making his name and his fame and his glory known among the nations through missions. And number three, to use as an entry point for the gospel, the defense of innocent human life, which is what God values and prizes above all things in the created order. We beckon you into this calling with us. Will it benefit us if you pray for us, if you give to us of your finances, if you support us, if you encourage us? Will it benefit us? Absolutely. Will it benefit you if you pray for us and give to us financially, support our work, and send us out and encourage us in the work? Absolutely. Will it bring glory to our almighty God? Will it lift up his great name among the nations for us to engage in the work of passion life together? May it be. May it be. One last, if you'll indulge me, one last scripture. My favorite psalm. Psalm 67, which reads thus. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your salvation may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Why would anyone want to be a missionary? Because God is worthy.